The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. This may be eight years tonight, I think. I've been coming uh, to be with you all for nine, according to my calculations, but of course the first year or two was back over there, I think, and at that point in time, that was before my heart transplant. I was wearing an IV bag and everything over there. So things are a little bit different for me and for you, and I'm grateful for that. I've said it many times, I know, but I want to continue to say it's definitely one of the highlights of my season when I do get to come. So if that's begging for next year or whatever you want to call it, I appreciate the elders and Bob and, and all of you having the confidence in me to allow me to come and to be with you. It is, it is a special time, so I'm thankful um, definitely for that. Go ahead and open your Bibles and open them with me, the book of Matthew. When you get there, go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 is kind of the context or the text, and we're going to discuss some of the context around that in dealing with a topic that has either been selected for me or maybe I selected. When Bob called me back in March or April this year, I don't remember exactly, but when he called, I was one of the first ones, not the first, one of the first ones he called, and he offered me a pretty long list of topics, and I listened. I've learned hard, the hard way to listen carefully, and I listened to all of those, and there were several that caught my attention, several that I thought, you know what, that would be good to preach on. Uh, truth is, that'd be easy. And uh, so I heard all those, and there were a number that I'd preached on before or something like that. These were all phrases. And I thought they'd be easy, but when he came down to this one, and uh, as we were kind of talking, I realized probably not many would grab this. I went ahead and took it. And it's the phrase, prepared for the devil and his angels. And somewhere along the lines during the conversation, I think there may have been another selection, something to do with the lightning fall from heaven, which would have been the fall of Satan. And of course, no one was ever gonna take that. So I tentatively agreed which was the dumbest move I've ever made, uh, that I would discuss that in with this. And so my disclaimer, and this is why I'm saying this, my disclaimer is we will cover some text tonight and some context that I'll be the very first to admit I don't completely understand. I don't have the answers. And so I encourage people sometimes, I encourage you to take notes, but please don't quote me from your notes when you get outside. Don't say Jim said this and that and he was dogmatic because I'm not, okay? There will be certain things that we're going to discuss that you're going to easily see are there. And yes, I will not argue about those. They will be true. And then there will be some things that we cross tonight, especially over in the Old Testament, concerning the fall of Satan that uh, I'll tell you I don't have the answer to. So if you have questions, and they're easy questions, I invite those. If they're more difficult than Bob or Welton or, or anyone else is, is here, and they'll, help, they'll handle the hard questions later. And so keep those to your own self until I get out that back door and down the road. But we'll go as far as we can. Now, as far as kind of establishing where we're going to go, because I realize uh, I can go a little bit long. I had a friend of mine last night that I was on the phone with late, and he and I preach uh, a lot of times in the same places. I shared with him my outline, and he said, you won't get past the first point. And I know that. So I'm going to give you all four. And you can jot these down because I know you're Bible students and you'll want to cover these things later and you can go back and study that. So I want to give you all four of the points and uh, they're not going to be on the screen all at once so don't, don't change yet. But 
The first thing we're going to discuss from my perspective is we're going to talk a little bit about the design of hell or hell's design, okay? And what I mean by that is in the context of Matthew 25, 41, why did Jesus say he established or God created hell? And who were his original inhabitants? Okay, and that's really what you get down to in verse 41 of Matthew 25. He said, plainly, it was the devil and his angels. We'll talk about that. And that's where we'll talk about the fall of Satan a bit. From that perspective, we'll move on to point two, and we'll be talking about the determinations, if you will. I think it's how I worded that, but the determinations, the designations of hell. And what I mean by that is there are several terms. I'll be using the King James translation. I understand a lot of you have some others, some ESVs particularly. Uh, but in the King James translation, there are three to four terms, basically mainly three terms that are translated into the word hell, that four-letter word, H-E-L-L. And in some things like the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, they're translated a little bit clearer. And so those three terms are what's called transliterated. That is, they're not all just said to be hell because they're really not. And so we're going to go through those. I'll give you a very lengthy list. I don't do PowerPoints, but I did choose to do this because there will be probably close to 50 or more references tonight that if you choose to jot them down, you might want to. Again, for your own time, don't be afraid. We won't try to cover them. And from that point on, we'll go down to the next point, which will be the third, and we're going to talk about the descriptions of hell, okay? Because Jesus, believe it or not, many of you know this, Jesus was the most prominent, well-known hellfire preacher that ever existed. He spoke more about hell in the New Testament than any other New Testament writer, and I would suppose probably has spoken more about hell in his short lifetime and short ministry than probably anybody that's ever lived. Unless they're just outright being mean or dogmatic, he probably covered the subject in a loving, compassion-filled way more than anybody else. So we're going to look at the times and the occasions very quickly every single time he spoke about hell. So that'll be that. And then, Lord willing, if we ever get to it tonight, we're going to talk then about the decision of hell, of hell's decision, because there is a decision to be made. And I'll go ahead and give you the forerunner of that. The decision has to be made tonight. Okay? I'm a very indecisive person sometimes, but just in case the Lord returns, that's a thunder, not a shout. Uh, but in case He were to, our decision has to be made tonight. Okay? So that's what we'll be. But let's look, begin with, at the design of hell. And you can swap the slide if you'd like. Uh, now, the design of hell, there are several different uh, texts, if you will, that you need consider if you're going to understand the original design of hell. And of course, the first one here is in our context, and he says it, verse 41, Matthew chapter 25, it says this, and it's Jesus speaking here, you can notice it's in red in my copy here, and it says, And then shall he say unto them also on the left, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, watch this phrase, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so I, I'm not going to argue that. It, it's evident by that wording, by that phraseology, which in other translations is just as clear, that Jesus and God's original preparation design that they gave for hell was to have a place to put the devil, Satan, and his angels. And that, that's, that's really without argument there. Now, everything that we discuss for the rest of these verses, there may be some conjecture. 
And I do want to go to these, okay? So let's go over, to, if you will, to begin with, to Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. So not very far over. This is, in my mind, other than what we just read, the first veiled reference. If you see me doing this, I'm being cautious. Uh, the first veiled reference potentially for the fact that Satan fell, okay? Now, it seems, and I think this may be right, that at some point Satan's origin would have been perhaps that he was an angel. And I don't know what part of creation he was created. I would probably lean toward maybe day two, although it's not stated, sometime in that frame at least. And at some point in time, I would probably go ahead and just say outright that Satan did something, probably rebellious pride, that caused him to be cast down. And most every context we'll discuss will indicate that, and we'll see some really strong consistencies between that idea. And the very first one here is located in Luke chapter 10 again. We're looking specifically at verse 18, and this is extremely veiled. Here's what Jesus says in the context of some of his disciples, 70 to be exact, that had been sent out, basically coming back and saying, hey, Jesus, guess what? We went out and we saw devils slash demons is probably the better translation of that, and we were able to cast them out. And Jesus' reply to such is in verse 18 of chapter 10, Luke. He says, and he said in them, that's Jesus, but I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. Now, this may or may not be an indication of Satan himself, except for the fact that if you look up this word translated in the English as Satan, it can't be anybody else. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, I think what he's teaching them here is the fact that, look, you want to think about a demon, or you want to think about devils, plural, I'm going to tell you the one that matters, Satan has fallen from heaven. Now, I think he does teach that. Now, how far you carry that, you can do that on your own time as a Bible student, but at least that's the first indication that something happened that we may have or may not have information on. So that's the first one. Let's go to the very next one here. You want to turn very far either for it. But go to the next reference. This one is a little bit more clear. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, I'm not building the context on this, and I regret, so jot these down. But in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says clearly here, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to, what's the next word? Hell. Now again, we're going to get into the, the various ways these words can be translated, but this one here happens to be hell, it's Gehenna, it can't be anything but the hell we think about. And we do see here written plainly, and this is in the context of Peter writing to basically make several warnings that if you rebel against God, you're going down. That's what we say in Mumford, maybe not anywhere else. But if you rebel and stand up against God or try to take His place, you're going down. And that's what Peter says. Now, Peter is either quoting Jude or Jude quoting Peter, or better yet, here's the real argument, they're both inspired. Go with me to the book of Jude now, because Jude makes a very similar reference in Jude 6. Now, you might say Jude 1, 6, but there's only one chapter. It may not even cover a whole page in your Bibles if you look at them. But in Jude 6, here's what it said. And the angels which kept not their first estate... But left their own habitation, 
He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment of the great day. So again, what exactly is being referenced here, we can't be sure, but the language shows us plainly that at some point, some grouping of angels fail. And among that grouping of angels that fail, they did so because they lost their first estate and they were plainly cast into what this calls, Peter calls, I'm sorry, Jude, everlasting chains under darkness, under judgment. You say, well, preacher, that doesn't say hell. Hey, we're going to see later all of these references point to the place called hell, the way that we know it. Now, before we move back into the Old Testament, I want to go back, backtrack for just a moment and give you some consistencies. I told you there'd be some consistencies between these texts, and we'll take the one we're at now because we're on the page and then move back. In this text right here, we know three things about the text. Number one, we know the people, that is the angels. Number two, in the same place, we know the position. That is, they were in their first estate originally, cast into hell. And we also know the place now. And that is, they've gone from here to there. They've gone from their first estate, I'm assuming heaven, my disclaimer, and they landed in their second or last estate, and that is the place of everlasting, uh, what is the quote here? Everlasting chains of darkness. That's consistent now. Turn back to the one we just were at back in the book of 1 Peter. So go to your left. I want to notice the consistency there. Again, that scripture, verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, you have the people being named. That is the angels. You have the problem. That is that they were sinning or sinned. And then you have their position or place. They were cast down. Now you go backwards again to the very first reference we made. Notice consistency again, if I can get back to it. We were in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Luke 10 and verse 18. If you don't make it back to this, I know I'm talking quickly, but I promise you'll see why in about 30 minutes. But in Luke 10 and verse 18, you have in a little bit different order, you have a problem being listed, and that is there was Satan here. You have a place being listed, and that is he was in heaven, and you have the fact that there was a, uh, an issue here, and that is he fell. So basically, again, you have something the effect of a place, a problem, and a position, sort of, kind of. A little bit different orders. Now, you see how consistent these verses have been thus far, whether or not anyone at this point wants to say, well, that's talking about the fall of Satan, and I know exactly how it happened. Now, if you're at that place, back up in your mind and say, no, we really don't. But we're going to make some, we're going to make some suggestion here. Let's move back into the Old Testament now. We've gone through the New Testament references, which seem to be pointing back towards something Go with me now to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter, where are we, 14. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. This is the clearest and the unclearest reference you'll ever find concerning any kind of fall from heaven, particularly concerning Satan. Here's what the scripture says in Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. We'll read it together. I'm reading the King James, so you'll see something a little bit different. But here's what it says. How art thou fallen from heaven? Now, the King James says, O Lucifer. Some translations say something about the brightness 
or the star of the morning and such. And I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on a signed topic on um, the bright and morning star, which is Jesus from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 16. And it points back to here in a contrast that Satan tried to be the star, the bright star, O Lucifer, and yet he was not. Jesus is. But in this phraseology here, this Hebrew word that King James chooses to translate Lucifer, I don't know that's the best, all that means is the light bearer, okay? The light bearer. And it says, to continue the reading there, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now some say Lucifer is another name for Satan. We'll argue for and against. Son of the morning, that really says light of the light. How art thou cut down to the ground which thou didst weaken the nations? Verse 13, For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will set upon also the mount of the congregation and on the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like, look at this phrase. I will be like the most high. Now, let me give you both sides of this. Some suggest and will be dogmatic to the fact that this is Satan, it can be no one else, that's it. And they base basically that argument on the word or the name Lucifer. I'm not dogmatic in that. As a matter of fact, the context bears itself out to be talking about some kings, and I'm pluralizing that because there's no specific one named, but some kings of Babylon. And the fact that they have, through their pride, lifted themselves up to hold a position as if they were the Most High God, as if they were sitting on the throne of God. And contextually, that seems to bear out in Isaiah's teaching and in the chapter before, during, and after. I present and suggest to you that it could also be that both are being spoken of. In the immediate context, yes, those kings of Babylon. But there are other times, both in New and Old Testament, where references are made to one person or one group, and then that is applied to another. So it's possible that Satan did fall from heaven, and he fell from heaven because he was lifted with pride. And as he fell from heaven, he was cast down. As he fell from heaven, he lost his, and I'm looking back at some of the New Testament references, his first estate along with the angels. One other reference from Revelation 12 may indicate that there were about one-third of the angels that fell. But again, I'm not arguing that. I didn't even take you to that passage. What are we learning so far? Look at this context. In this context, just in verse 12, we have a position that is, one who was in heaven. We have a person, that is, O Lucifer, whomever that is, the light bearer, son of the morning. We, in turn, have a problem, and that is pride. You see, there are consistencies. There are consistencies, even more than inconsistencies, between Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, I think. You, you got the cheat sheet, so you'll beat me on this. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. There are consistencies from 2 Peter 2 and verse 4 between Jude 1 and 6, between Isaiah 14, uh, uh, 14, 12 through 15. And each of them show something, someone falling from heaven. 
I present to you that most likely could have represented Satan. Did it mean Satan at the time of writing and the place of writing as Isaiah? I don't know that that was primary. But my disclaimer, it could have also meant Satan in a veiled reference as Jesus pointed back like he did. I saw lightning, like bearer, fall from heaven. You see, where we get some discrepancies, one is in translation. You may see something different in the other translation besides the King James I'm looking at, but also we get discrepancies because the Old Testament writers wrote in Hebrew and the New Testament writers wrote in Greek, and oftentimes Jesus and others spake a little bit in Aramaic, and Jesus oftentimes quoted the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. You see, now I don't think God's lost anything in translation. You can, you can quote me on that. I don't think he's lost a thing in the world in translation. But maybe we have. You know, maybe we don't get as easy or as clear a picture because, again, when they read these writings in the New Testament, they're reading them when these things have occurred or when they can call their granddad, not literally call, but they can go down the road and talk to their granddad and he can say, yeah, I know about that. I witnessed that. I saw that. And that may be what we have some of this. Now, there's one more that we're not going to go to, but you can jot it down. And we won't go there because it's an entire chapter. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 1 through 26, not the entire, but most of the chapter, there are some more seemingly veiled references. Now, in that context, the, the name Lucifer is not mentioned. He's not mentioned as being Satan either. It's noted as the king of Tyre, I think. Can, is that right? I haven't gone over there yet. But again, is that talking about a king in Tyre? Probably so. But could it be a reference to things that have occurred in the past concerning Satan? Perhaps. Okay, I hope I'm done with disclaimers. <laughs> that was the end of that. That may be your fall of Satan. And if it is, it continues to establish, if you back into Matthew 25 and verse 41, the original design or hell's design when Jesus said it was designed, intended for the devil and his angels. So apparently Satan may have failed. When he did, he may have taken others with him. That's not uncommon either, by the way. For even today, for a member of the Lord's church to fall, and guess what happens? His messengers, his cohorts, his friends, his family fall with him. That's the design. Number next. Not only the design of this, but let's look at these designations. I don't know the word I tried to tell you while I go, but designations if you're correcting notes. This next part of this, again, in the King James translation, there are approximately 23 times when our Lord himself, Jesus, uttered out of his mouth words that are translated as hell, that four-letter word. And again, with the King James, it's, it's, it's consistent in that it says hell, 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 hell. But there are several times among that, many times as a matter of fact, when that's not the clearest and the best translation of it to begin with. And so again, the ESV and the New King James and the NASB and, and a few more of those modern translations just step back and said, hey, let's come up with a word to differentiate from what is hell and what is not. And the way they did that, which was good thinking, they transliterated the words. They took words that Mumford boys can't pronounce that sound like Tartarus, Tartaru. They took words that I can't pronounce that sound like Hades. And they just dropped it down. 
And in some cases, ESV doesn't do this. I think it uses hell, but they even put Gehenna in a few translations where it was appropriate. So what do these terms mean? There's a little variation between the two. I've got them in this particular order because I think there's an order of severity. In the top one here, you've got Hades. Hades is the place of the departed dead, basically. That's how we often refer to it. Hades is the place where it seems that the rich man and Lazarus had found themselves as recorded in Luke 16. Hades seems to be divided, according to Luke 16, into two parts. That is, the place of the departed dead represents, on the one hand, paradise, where Lazarus was, and the other side, torments, King James translation, where uh, the rich man was. i got to make sure I'm saying that right. Seems to be a divide. As a matter of fact, there's a phrase in there, there's a great gulf fix. Well, notice the division. Hence this picture y'all can't see very well. Doesn't, does not represent hell very well, but it's actually in the picture. Has a great gulf of fire. Best we can describe. There are many references, however. That's Hades. Now, as far as the references, and you can maybe hopefully see them there, I'll go through them. In Matthew chapter, I gotta look down here at my cheat sheet. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, 16, 18, Luke 10, 15, 16, 23, Acts 2, 27, Revelation 1, 18, uh, Revelation 6, 8, 2013, verse 14. All of those could be translated clearly as Hades, if again we only understood the term. And that doesn't have to be neither negative nor positive, albeit it's generally negative. But it doesn't have to be negative positive because, again, perhaps Luke 16's record, even Lazarus was in Hades. He was cast into that place of the departed dead. Now, my brother, who I consider to be my local Greek scholar, and you don't have to agree with that, but he's, he's said a lot. He explains this to me. This is his disclaimer. He explains this to me as, as, as if someone has been arrested and placed in the county jail awaiting trial. And you can imagine if you're in the county jail awaiting trial, even though you've not yet been to court, even, even for your hearing, and not even yet being convicted, you are feeling, as the rich man did, some level of punishment already. Now you've got Lazarus, who may have been arrested, but was immediately let go. He's at home with his family. Sort of, kind of a picture. That's Hades. In second place, there's another word, Gehenna. I'm sorry, Tartarus. Now, the word Tartarus is only found, that's a Greek word, Tartaru, is only found one time in the entire Bible. And that's right here at this location, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, let's go to that one for just a moment. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. And verse 4, and just see how it is used right there. That may give us a little bit of insight into it. I, I don't know that it'll help a lot, but perhaps. 2 Peter chapter 2. By the way, I'm, I'm using a brand new Bible tonight. I literally got it out of the box last night. So I'm excited, but I'm not used to it. My other Bible, I can tell you what side of the page it's on. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. We, we did mention this while ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, we did. It said, For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. You see that word hell right there? And the phrase cast down, let me tell you what that looks like in the Greek. One word. 
They tried to be clear in translating it, but this word tartarus means the lower places. Literally what it says is, he cast them to Tartarus. Literally what it says is, and I'll read it like that, for God spared not the angels that sinned, but Tartarus them. Cast them down. Now it's translated along with the term hell here because of what it is and because it's evident that that is not a positive thing. Not good, but not the worst. Hades, level one. Tartarus, level two, if you will. And the last one here, Gehenna, that's the word we understand as hell. That's the dreaded word. That's the word that many preachers and elders and, and for that matter members either don't want to say nor hear. And I've got friends, and I call them friends because I still have hope for them, who will not preach on hell. They would not have come to Aniana tonight if they had been asked to speak on this specifically. They wouldn't show up. Because to them it's negative. Again, what did we say earlier? Jesus is the one who spake on it so many times. Jesus did not do that out of hate, but out of love. Jesus spoke like I assume the apostle Paul intended to speak as recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when he said, I, I have shunned, what is it now? I just lost it. I'm not shunned to declare in you the whole counsel of God, basically. Forget the first part of the verse. I got a few verses to remember, by the way. But that, that's what Jesus did. I promise you, if Jesus were to talk about heaven, he talked about hell. If he were to talk about love, he talked about hate. If he were to talk about marriage, he talked about divorce. If he were to talk about the saint, he talked about the sinner. He confronted things with balance. That's what we must do. So if I'm going to talk about hell this week, Bob, you owe them heaven some point soon. This is what we have. What are the references here? Longer list here. This word or this word Gehenna should be translated as hell. There are two groups. I'm, I'm going to reverse that. The present group would be Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, verse 29, verse 30, as well as chapter 10, verse 28, chapter 23, 15, and 33. Mark chapter 9, verse 43, which we'll get to, hopefully, Lord willing, verse 45, verse 47, and also James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Those words should be translated as hell because that's what Gehenna is. That's in the present. In the past, and we're going to go to a couple of these, in the past, what Gehenna, no, for time we won't, what Gehenna was supposedly, listen to me carefully, and I'm not trying to debunk you if you've ever shared this because I have too. In the past, supposedly, many like to promote the idea that what Gehenna was was a valley outside of Jerusalem that was where the old Jerusalem garbage dump was and that all those things were set upon fire basically to do away with it and that it burned through the ages and that that is what Gehenna describes. There's one issue with that. One, there's not one stitch of Bible evidence for it. I can't tell you that. There's some historical evidence, but most of that historical evidence began about 1300 A.D. You see, much farther out than 33 A.D. or 70 A.D. or 100 A.D., death and end of the apostles, much later than that. Whether or not that was the case, I can't say it wasn't, 
But biblically, I, I can't say it was. But what I do know is what the Bible reveals. You see, Gehenna, Greek word backing up hell, comes from the Hebrew references to a place called Hinnom. It was the valley of Hinnom is what it was. And whether or not there was a garbage dump there in Jesus' day or before, I can't prove, but I can prove what was there. That's the place where the people who were idolatrous came and offered their children upon the arms of a statue known as Molech and burned them and passed them through the fire. Those references are absolutely true. Found and mentioned as early as Joshua 15 and verse 8, but in 2 Chronicles 28, 3, 33, 6, especially 2 Kings 23, 10 through 14, and really big Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, and the other references, God condemned their actions. So what Jesus was speaking about when he used the word Gehenna, hell, he brought into the minds of people not some dump, which would be minor, but something that was very severe, which reminded them of children dying at this. Of people who decided, I'll worship my God instead of yours, and the way I can do it is I'll burn my child to death. And that'll sometime, somehow glorify and appease my God. The God condemned that. Now, you know some of the New Testament application that goes with that. He condemns the killing of innocent today in any age range. He condemns the giving over of human bodies for sacrifice to any God today, even if someone was foolish enough to give it to him. Even those who are willing and this has happened. When I was a little kid, this happened not too far up the road from here in Raglan, Alabama. It still terrifies me when people who claimed to worship Satan went about for a series of months slaying people and sacrificing them in the woods to Satan. That's Gehenna. So when I and you think about it, we read of Jesus mentioning the word hell, think about the place that he was referencing, which is a place where children, innocent, newborns, and later were laid upon, even those up into the ages of 10, 11, 12 years old were laid upon the altars in order to sacrifice some God that did not exist. That's what happened. This ain't a nice place. That's the designations. Not only Hades, Tartarus, but Gehenna. Terrible place. Next part of this. We're moving better than I thought, but we're running out fast. Not only the designations, but in the next slide you can put up, let's talk as well about the descriptions. There are 46 times that hell are referenced in the New Testament, and out of those 46 times, 23 of them come straight out of the mouth of Jesus. And although he uses different terms in various terms, I tried to group them here, uh, to describe hell, he does use descriptive words. He doesn't always just say, hell, 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 hell. I had a friend of mine a few years ago on the opposite of that. He was asked to speak on grace, and I listened to his sermon, poor guy. He probably used the word grace 600 times in that sermon, not exaggerating a little bit, but he didn't touch top side or bottom what grace was. Okay, so you can't just get up and say, hell, 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 and, and nothing be accomplished. 
but let's just look at these references. I tried to put them up so we could go through quickly because we're not flipping or flopping. First of all, Matthew 7, verse 19, as well as 13, chapter 40 and 25, 41, it's called fire. That's my heart rate thing going off. Thinks I fell down too, so it's about to call for assistance. Uh, also, everlasting fire, Matthew 18 and 8, 25, 41. Eternal damnation, Mark chapter 3 and verse 29. Hell fire, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 and, and 18, 9, Mark 9, 47. You can see these, I guess. Also, uh, fire that shall never be quenched, Mark chapter 9, 43 and 45. Fire that should not be quenched or that is not quenched, Mark chapter 9, verse 44, 46, 48. The furnace of fire, Matthew chapter 13, 42 and verse 50. Damnation, Matthew chapter 23 and 14, Mark chapter 12 and verse 40, Luke chapter, 12, uh, chapter 20 and verse 47. Those who shall be damned, Mark 16, 16. The damnation of hell, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. The resurrection of damnation, John chapter 5 and verse 29. Wailing and gnashing of teeth, Matthew chapter 13, 42 and 50. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew chapter 8 in verse 12, chapter 22, 13 and 25, 30. Torments, Luke chapter 16, verse 23. Tormented with flame, Luke chapter 16, verse 24. The place of torment, Luke chapter 16, verse 28. Outer darkness, Matthew chapter 8, verse 12 and 23. 22:13 everlasting punishment Matthew chapter 25:46 where the worm dieth not Mark chapter 44 46 and 48 are you tired yet That's every time Jesus mentioned or referenced hell in the New Testament were any of them worth dying for Not even one so the way I vision that or envision that, that's the description of hell, and that, that's the witnesses. Matter of fact, that is not the witnesses. That is the witness. That's Jesus who described in his most uh, illustrative terms the best he could. But someone asked me one time, said, do you think hell's really going to be a fire? How's it going to be a fire in its outer darkness? And first of all, I don't know. I don't know. Matter of fact, I don't know that it will be fire as we know fire. I would suggest it's far worse than that. I would suggest that if you put all this together and lump it up, Jesus described everything awful and terrible about anything possible in eternity, and he said it's worse than that. And I think some of our brethren, well, maybe not a brethren, hopefully not a brethren, I think some people in this world uh, probably had a picture of hell that, hey, you know what, I like living on the wild side right now, and so what's going to happen to me? I'll go to hell. Ted Turner, you know who Ted Turner was? CNN, owner of uh, TBN, what was that? Not TBN, but TBS, Ted Turner, Ritz, wealthy. He made a statement one time that he looked forward to going to hell, that he knew he deserved it and he looked forward to it. Publicly, I don't know what he thinks. Because the picture may be in some people's mind that I like living on the wild side here, so when I get to hell, Satan will be our king and we'll really live it up. Uh-uh. Jesus said that he's punishing Satan. He's going to do the same thing to us if we're not found faithful to him. That's some of the witnesses that are involved but look at its warning. Okay, this is not on the slide, what y'all are seeing, but leave it on the slide, please. Think about the warnings. If Jesus described hell in these terms, 
what advice does he have for one who does not want to live after his manner? Assuming that the things were correct about the fall of Satan and that what caused him to fall was simple pride and rebellion that said, I'm greater than you, God. And you say, well, I'm not Satan. I wouldn't do that. Anytime I refuse to do what the Lord says, I may as well just stand up and say, okay, God, slide over. I got the throne today. Let me get this. I know better than you. Now, we don't verbalize it this way. We may not even intend it this way. But I know better than you, God. I'll make my choice today. I'll live my life today. I'll do things after my way today. Go to two passages. All of these have been mentioned. But let's back up now. Let's go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. If you're looking at your watch, your watch is broke, okay? That's all I can tell you. It ain't working right. Mark chapter 9, let's look in verse 42. We're going to read this. You'll be familiar with it, but this is Jesus speaking again. Mark 9, 42. You better read because I'm dyslexic. I'm not going to read correctly. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him to have a millstone hanged about his neck and to be cast in the sea. That's really minor considering. And if thine hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better thee to enter into the life maimed than to having two hands and go into, what's that next word? Gehenna hell. He ain't playing. Then to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Verse 44, where the worm dieth not and the fire that is not quenched. So if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better than enter halt into life than having two feet and be cast into hell and into the uh, be cast into hell Gehenna and into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than be cast in with two eyes into hell fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Who said that? Jesus. Now those are some major sacrifices. And I know if we took that literally, most of us in this room, if we really believed that and took it literally, we'd be standing here with one eye and one hand and one foot on a good day. On an average day, none of them. So we'd be down to the second and third level by now. But emotionally, we must. I've got to be willing to change my heart, my life. It's called repentance. To the extent and to the point that I would rather go through this life not having the things I think I need in order to gain the only thing I actually do need. That's the illustration. Another passage. Matthew chapter 10. Go back to your left. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus gives some more advice on this. He says, fear not them. I'm in verse 28, by the way. Fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to, watch this, destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. He's not talking about a, a fairy tale place. He's not describing a place where it may be good, it may not, where some days it may be a little rough. He's describing a place that will be awful and eternal. 
And that word destroy there, don't take it like we understand destroy. It's not obliterate. It's destroying as in if you imagine if you fell on, this is not a good description, but if you fell out in that parking lot and I ran my car over you on the way out and so did everybody else. And then every one of us turned around up here because we got lost like I probably will and, and, and run back over you again and we didn't stop. We destroyed and destroyed and destroyed and destroyed that body. The problem is it, 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 never, it, it never obliterated. The good news. Go back to our context. Matthew 25. Not only hell's design, not only hell in that sense at least, its designations, its descriptions. What about this? Hell's decision. And I said in the beginning, your decision need be made tonight. I don't know what tonight holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. As we sing sometimes in the hymnals, but I do know who holds tomorrow. The problem is, he only holds tomorrow for those who hold him. In our context, Matthew 25, there are three parables, if you will, given. By the way, those are not earthly truths. I mean, uh, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. They're earthly truths with a heavenly truth. It's the cast beside. He mentions ten virgins. Read it for yourself, 1 through 13. They had an issue. They were not prepared. Verse 14 through 30, he mentioned yet even another group. It wasn't their preparation. It was their production. You see, in that group, you had the talents, the five, two, and and one talent men, and they were given these talents to go out and use, and, and two, the five and the two guy comes back and said, look, I doubled it. They were commended for such. The one person comes back and said, well, I only had one talent, and I know you're a hard man. I buried it. It was to him, verse 30, and cast out, I'm in 25, Matthew, and cast out the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness where there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For what? For not being a Christian? Well, Christian's not in the equation here necessarily, but by illustration, no, not that. For not being a good Christian? No, not that. For being an unproductive member. And categorized with verse 41. The third listing here carries out the idea of those who Jesus illustrated had opportunity to help him, to feed him, to give him drink, to clothe him and whatever. And half of those group, half of that group refused. And then I asked, you know, when did we ever have an opportunity, Jesus? We didn't do this to you. We didn't. He said, as much as you've done to even the least of these, you've done unto me. And it was at that point Jesus felt an urgent need to stop and say, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed, and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, end of the chapter. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal... There's the choice. Everlasting punishment, eternal life with God. That's hell. That's heaven. 
will I be willing to prepare? If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, your preparation could begin tonight. Invitations open all the time, but what a convenient time we have. Your preparation could begin tonight. You're hearing the Word of God. You've heard a great deal of it, at least concerning hell tonight. Be willing to believe that. That is to understand and know this here on these pages of Holy Writ. They are true. Be willing to confess His name. That's, that's really what any of these groups could have done easily. Just confessed His name. Just, just stated that, you know, I know that you are the Messiah. And, and then taking His lead. Be willing to be baptized according to what Peter and even Jesus said. Mark 16, 16, guess what He used? The word Gehenna. In describing the fact that we must believe and be baptized. You know, many of, many of these people out in the world, they deny baptism. When baptism in that case is placed in the same verse with hell as a prohibitory measure. That's what it is. There's one person, if you will, that stands in the way of us in hell. His name is Jesus. Are you prepared? Second, are you productive? What am I doing for God every day? How am I living for Him? Will I, in this case, be willing to provide? We're not going to go to the text, but you can jot these down. Did I even put any screen up there so I couldn't have? On your own time, just, just think back through some of these. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12 through 14. You know, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done any wonderful works? Some of us could brag and boast of that. What was Jesus' conclusion? In the end of that, he had to tell those people because of the reason they did that. And their mindset, their motives. Depart from me, you cursed. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God's invitation is open, I urge you tonight to make your decision. Make it publicly for the first time if need be. But I also encourage us all, this guy in the mirror as well, to know that a decision that chooses not to decide has already decided for itself. Tonight is your chance. Tonight is the day of salvation. Song of Invitation has been chosen while we stand and as we sing.